Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. Right. That's us. <laughs> yes, indeed. That is... The best. We are the number one Bible Bistro themed, or I was going to say Bistro themed Bible study podcast on we're the, air. We're the best kept secret <laughs> in the restoration movement. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Like I don't know. I anyway, we are we are back. We are still going yeah. through Daniel. Yeah, you know, we this are. Is, uh, we went through Daniel. <laughs> yeah, we've been going through that. Lots have been happening. You know, we've got yeah. through. Now, you uh, correctly pointed out, I had said that we were through the narrative portion of this, Daniel 1 right. through 6, then we got to 7, and I said the narrative was over, and you're like, no, 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 this yeah, is still... narrative kind of narrative still. <laughs> Is that the correct linguistic term? Yes, narrative. Narrative. It's uh, it, it's interesting. I you know, I, of course, I'm all about narrative. It, it's really changed the way I read scripture and that kind of thing. And it, it it just occurred to me the other day. I mean, I should say the other day, a couple of years ago. But uh, <laughs> I'm to that age. You know, it's that age. It was just last other, Oh no, wait, it, was, day. it was five years ago. But the other but, day, uh, the 1980s. <laughs> the. Uh, I, I was thinking about, I was reading the book of Leviticus, as one does, and uh, I, I noticed that even, it's interesting because we think about that as the law, you know, it's just a listing of laws, but it actually has a narrative framework to it as well. You know, God's speaking to Moses and he's telling him these things. And it's just interesting how many of the, how many of the, it's just, just kind of the normal way that we communicate in a lot of ways. We tell stories and, you know, it's just, it's, it's very interesting when you start reading scripture and you notice you know, even here. So this one begins with kind of a narrative. Before we started, though, I was going to mention this: this podcast will be coming out on on a holiday. A right? holiday. <laughs> what holiday? Right. Reformation Day. I know most people. Is think that a federal holiday? <laughs> no. I know some, most people think today, uh, this Tuesday, October thirty first, is Halloween, but it's also the day that um, Martin Luther famously. Um, nailed, nailed his 99 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And uh, thus, it's sometimes called Reformation Day as and well. And the rest so. is fragmented history. <laughs> the rest the rest is, is 15,000 popes. But a uh, <laughs> <laughs> little, little Dieta Verms joke there. Uh, but uh, yeah, my, the funniest thing I've seen, I should, I, we should put this meme up. It uh, It's... Uh, it's got a jack a, a uh, Martin Luther jack o' lantern carved pumpkin, and then above it is 
99 candy bars, Reese's candy bars. So the nailing of the 99 Reese's, Reese's to the door. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. All right. You, well, you want to get it to Daniel? <laughs> so much for the humor in the episode. The 99 Reese's. I'm going to, that's yeah. going to stick with he me nailed, now. He nailed 99 Reese's to the door. Well, Martin Luther. And then that's it all. All went from there. Yeah. So yeah. here we are. Interesting. Now yeah, we have a little, podcast. <laughs> the only thing, one of one of fifteen thousand podcasts. The only thing I was going to say was, it, it, I, I just just occurred to me, and and you may have heard this before that, you know, I've heard that that wasn't because we always make it this act of rebellion. He takes a hammer and he nails this to the door, right? Mm-hmm. But what I've been what I've been told is that this was a normal place that people would put announcements, and basically he was just kind of like putting up an announcement, inviting debate. It wasn't this it was big like act of rebellion. Right next to it was but, like free, you know, free guitar yeah, lessons. Right. Pull, pull, pull the number. Pull off the number. <laughs> pull right. off the tab. Oh, wait, what's this? <laughs> Martin put up something. Yeah, I don't anyway. know. Anyway. I've heard. All right. So <laughs> Back to Daniel 8. <laughs> so let's start with Daniel 8. Daniel so 8. here's the narrative part of this. Look, okay. re- go ahead and read Daniel 8, 1 through 2, if you would. Okay. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulay Canal. Ulay Canal, yeah. Yeah, okay. Is that it? Is that what you want to read? Yeah, just going? that far is fine. And and so this is kind of giving us the setting of this vision. And that's what I mentioned. It's it's telling us this story. You know, Daniel's not just like, here's my vision, but he's saying, this is where I was. This is what I was doing. And um, this is the one after the one I already had. Well, and you, do you remember? Well, let's let's ask. Let's see how much you remember from the last time we recorded. Uh, Daniel 7, do you remember when he said that vision took place? Oh, it he was in the first year. first year of King Belshazzar. So, you know, I talked then about the kind of the, the turnover and this kind of thing is the beginning of this visionary um, uh, system. But then we have um, we have the third year is when uh, this is given. He's in the province of Elam and in the citadel of Susa is what it said. So Susa was a uh, it is a city that. It, so here's here's again where we where we are in the time that he puts this vision. There would not have been a Susa. It would have been destroyed. And, and and so then it was later by the Medes and the Persians, it was made into a fortified city. So that, you know, that's kind of an interesting thought that he's there in Susa is kind of where he envisions himself when he gives this um, vision that has to do with the rise of the Medes and the Persians, not mm-hmm. to give away the ending, but then also the fall of the Medes and Persians. And so that's what I think is going on. So this area where this, where this, River, what we believe is a river, this this canal, where it's found is in the southeastern part of what we would call Iran today. It, it's um, in the border of Iran and Iraq in that area, and and so he, he's kind of there and looking across the river toward the toward the west from where he is. Uh, Susa would have been seen as by from a Jewish perspective as kind of the the center of the uh, of the Mede and Persian Empire. You know, again, it, in terms of the time of Daniel's writing, in a okay. later period, it would have been considered important. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I get on this, this right. All right. So he's in the Citadel of Susa, which would have not been there in the yeah. third yeah. year of King yeah. Belshazzar. Yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he has a vision that he's there in Susa. 
And so, I, again, the, I guess the point is, I'm trying to say the significance is this would have been a center of the Mede and the Persian Empire. So, right. So he's in, sense. so this is, he's in Babylonian captivity. Yes. Medes and Persians have not come through yet and taken right. the Babylonian. Right. And so, but he's having this vision in the future where right. he's kind of in the citadel of the Medes and Persians. Yeah. Seeing the, seeing the, yeah, having a vision having of the future, vision. I would Sorry. say. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, my language, <laughs> I just throw words out the, there. The other part of this then is that it also later Susa also later became an important part of the Seleucid Empire, mm. and and that that's going to be a big part of this chapter as well. So that's what I think is the significance of of him being there. So okay, other thoughts on that or questions or comments? Uh, no, I have no thoughts. I would have not known that unless you had said that. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. So <laughs> verses three and four. Go ahead and read verses three and four if you yeah. would. <clears throat> I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it, and none could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. As as we work through this chapter, I'm going to kind of go ahead and give you the interpretation, even though the interpretation of this is almost verbatim spelled out later in the chapter when we get down there it's just going to be kind of a repetition uh what's different between seven and eight you remember we had vision of uh i shouldn't say we did but daniel had vision of animals or beasts in Mm -hmm. in chapter seven the difference is those were kind of fearsome beasts right lions and and bears and you know this kind of stuff um what we have here are more domesticated animals. Um, mm-hmm. Some commentators even point out these are clean animals. Both a ram and a, a, a goat, we're going to see in just a minute, are are clean animals. They're animals mm-hmm. that you can you can eat if you were a Jewish person. So it's a little bit different in that in that nature. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you this though: we are the history we talked about the four kingdoms that we talked about in Daniel chapter seven. We're kind of zooming in and talking about a very specific historical period uh, of two of those kingdoms is what we're going to talk about here. Uh, and both of these are going to, as we mentioned already, are going to be future to the time of Daniel giving this giving this prophecy. So we've already seen horns, and we've talked about horns are, you know, power. They have to do with power. They have to do with, with being rulers. So I'll go ahead and tell you, and I mentioned this last last week when we had the vision of the bear. Do you remember what was significant about the bear? What well, how, it's, uh, how it was described? Very bearish. <laughs> it was. It was the ferocious was the most, claws or something. I don't it was know. The most, it was the most bear-like of the animals that we talked about. Uh, it, it was raised up on one side. And I said we're going to get this repeated kind of idea of the unevenness when we talk about this kingdom. Here we see it when it says it has two horns. So horns, again, power, rulers. But it says one of them is longer than the other one, right? So so this is kind of the idea of of you know, one has more power, one is stronger than the other. And this is always going to be the case. I mentioned this last week when we talk about the empire, uh, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, Mm -hmm. Uh, Persians come later, but they're, they're more powerful. And and so that's, that's kind of this idea of the two horns here um, with this ram. Uh, This idea, it says here, the ram's described as going to the north and the south and the east and west. No animal can stand against it. This is talking about its conquest that when it when the Medes and the Persians take over the Babylonians 
Um, there's no one able to stop them. Uh, and so during that period of time, when the Medes and the Persians are ruling, then this is, this is what's being described here, their conquest uh, of the world. Gotcha. So thoughts on that? Uh, no, I mean, it's just, let me ask you this question. Why are the Medes and Persians put together? Like they're, you well, know, we, we say them as like one yeah. kingdom, but they're separate kingdoms. Like why, why are they put together? Like the it's way because it's because of the way that the transition takes place between them. It's not a conquest, right? It's not like the Persians come along and defeat the Medes. Uh, they, they kind of go together. They rule together. Uh, there's a smoother transition between the Medes and the Persians uh, being being dominant, if you will. So so it's not like we're going to see with this next I- empire coming through and conquering militarily, uh, but they're they're working together in over to over in order to overthrow the Babylonians. I think that's that's the hmm. big thing that we got going on. Just, so. I mean, it's just it's interesting. You know, yeah. we don't see that see that very often, saying. and they have their own kings. You know, but then right. that they're separate, but. Not and right. So, anyway, yeah, you're that, right. It is it is a little bit different? Yeah. Uh, that yep. was just that was just that was my one question I had. Is okay. Why we question. put the why they typically go together is <laughs> in this one animal. So I'll go ahead and read verse five. I find this interesting. We're introduced to another animal here. It says, "As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat." With a prominent horn between its eyes, unlike any goat you've ever seen, I'm sure. Unigoat. A unig. Well, and and there, it's interesting you should say this because the idea of the unicorn. There have been people who've who've brought that up, but a prominent horn between its eyes. And again, I think we're we're thinking symbolically here more about one one prominent, one strong ruler is what we're thinking about. In contrast to the ram. Uh, it came from the west. So again, uh, Daniel standing, looking across the Ulai Canal. This is this is coming from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. So just like we saw, you might remember last week this this leopard, which had wings. Like this an is, eagle, I think. This is this is a, a speedy. This is a fast goat, right? This is an ex- <laughs> extremely fast goat. It crosses the whole earth. So. This talks about the extent of its conquering, and it does it without touching the ground, which talks about its speed. I'll come back and say maybe more about that, but uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, and and later on, we're going to see that this goat is in reference to a Greek king uh, who we call Alexander the Great. Um, and, and what it's really referring to is not only the the degree with which he was able to conquer the ancient world, but also the speed with which he conquered the ancient world. Uh, really from a period, only about a three-year period, from 334 to 331 BC, did it take Alexander and his armies uh, you know, that period of time to over, overcome and to, to destroy the, the Persian Empire and to defeat them uh, and to really become the dominant force then uh, in the ancient world. And that's what we find described then in verses 6 and 7. I'll go ahead and keep reading about the goat. It came toward, so this is the goat with a prominent horn. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal, charged at it in great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns, so breaking its power, we would say. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. So here's the the turnover from the the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians to the Greek uh, kingdom that we saw uh, behind the power of Alexander the Great. Okay. Thoughts on that? (laughs) I mean, I'm just picturing a goat 
and a ram <laughs> go to fighting. Ram. <laughs> yeah, and again, this is the this is the interesting thing. Just like, and this is why I mentioned that to begin with. So in in chapter seven, we had kind of these fabulous beasts, right? These mythical creatures. Uh, here we have you know more common kind of barnyard animals, but they're not they're they're still symbols, right? They're not acting in the normal <laughs> ramish kind of way, <laughs> or goatish, or goatish, right? They're yeah. they're uh, they're you know a goat with a prominent horn. Is not is not something we're trying to think of. Like when I said the unicorn, we're not we're not sure you said the unicorn. We're not trying to think of this in a literal sense, but this is this is symbolic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I will mention this rams. Um, this we, we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about some of the sim- symbolic animals that various, uh, like the Babylonians, for example, this idea of a lion with with wings. Um, it's the same kind of thing we see with uh, the ram's head has been suggested was a, a, a Persian for the Persian armies was a symbol that they would carry. And so, you know, again, for the someone in the ancient world, it might have rung a bell to say, oh, OK, yeah, these are the this is talking about the, the Medes and the Persians here in that in that case. Mm, okay. But again, I don't think we're thinking about any kind of I, it, we have to be careful of that because we're not necessarily trying to draw a one to one comparison between all of them. Right. It's not right. like you would normally think of the goat uh, in connection with the with the Greeks. Um, I'll, well, I'll, I'll say something else later, maybe. So then go ahead and read verse eight for me, because then it talks about something that happens to this goat that may be a little unexpected. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Okay, so this is a reference. If this is out, if the goat is Alexander the Great, then at the height of his power, this goat dies. Right, this goat's power is taken away. The horn is broken off. So if we think about this horn, this prominent horn being Alexander the Great, it's broken. Uh, and this reminds us of the story of his death, um, which took place, you know, when he was still a young person, not long after he had conquered, uh, you know, all of these kingdoms. Um, and had settled in uh, in the area of Persia, is where he had established his kingdom in, in Iran, and and um, you know as a young man still died, uh, probably of some kind of disease. Uh, we think um, that happened in 323 BC is when Alexander died. But then what is it? What's the other thing it says? At the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place. Four, four prominent, prominent horns, horns, right? Correct. And I mentioned last week we're going to see these four uh, often be in reference to to the diadokoi. I think you asked me about what does diadokoi mean, and and it means successors. The successors to Alexander is really what diadokoi means. So the kind of shorthand way that we say this in Greek is is just the successors. Uh, and, and I mentioned those four. I couldn't remember all of them in, in name last last time. But Cassander and, and Lysimachus were two that we don't spend too much time on because they are the general. So these are four generals of Alexander that essentially fought over the control of his empire. He did not leave at this point a clear successor, although you may know, I don't know how much you know about Alexander the Great, but uh, I'm sure you know quite a bit, but Alexander, uh, his, his, he, he had commanded for his generals and his officers and his army to marry um, uh, women from that area because where he was trying to establish the empire because he wanted to, 
basically um, you know take over the the trappings of of, of that royalty. Uh, he died young before he could really. I don't want to say this, consolidate the strength of his power. And so it really was kind of left to his own. He he, he had not left a successor, uh, an heir. And, uh, yeah, and when he moved through, he was moving through so fast. He didn't really, didn't really establish government. It yeah. was like, I conquered and I'm on to the next one without really establishing his, the, the power yeah. in that, that area. The way I describe what Alexander's tactics were in short, this is, you know, there's, you could write PhD thesis on this, but a PhD thesis, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this kind of quickly. Basically he would come in and if, if a country, let's say the leaders of a country were willing to acknowledge Alexander's control, then he would allow them to pretty much continue on as they were. Um, he didn't spend a lot of time, you know, restructuring things. It's like, if you're going to acknowledge my, my army superiority, then we're not going to destroy your, you know, we're not going to destroy your religion. We're not going to, uh, upset your governing structure. We're going to allow you to pretty much go on as, as normal, as long as you acknowledge us. Uh, this is what happened for, for Judea. And this is why the temple was left in place at this point, because they essentially accepted and acknowledged uh, when Alexander came through, they acknowledged that he he was uh, heir. In fact, there's stories that that they um, they said we have been pro- it is, your coming has been prophesied to us. Maybe even and probably even a reference to the Book of Daniel. And so the priests were willing to accept his rule, and and they did very little. If a nation uh, or a city were to resist, resist then then he would make an example of them, and he would go, <laughs> he would do everything that he could to to destroy them. It, it's not only you know I said that that in Judea when he got got to Jerusalem, it said that he even offered offered uh, uh, offering in, in the temple you know he he, he practiced Judaism and, and there's other examples of this is if if a nation would accept him he would he would make use of whatever <laughs> myths were there uh, about him or about you know conquering basically he would he would put himself in that place and and it was it was very wise. I mean, he didn't waste a lot of time on on people that were were not resisting him. But <laughs> for the nations or the cities that resisted him, he absolutely annihilated, des- them. destroyed them. So uh, yeah, so it was a very that's how he did it so quickly. But you can see that that kind of left you know the the difference between him and and the later Romans is the Romans really made sure that these things were happening according to our pattern of governing, right. right? So they were much slower in their conquering, but it was much it was a much more unified empire after Rome was done with it than than what Alexander did. All that is to say, <laughs> at his death, even though his his uh, wife that he had taken was pregnant, uh, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. Um he he essentially left no clear successor, and that's why his his generals ended up battling uh, for control. So all that's go back to say Cassander and Lysimachus went back to the to the east, or, or I'm sorry, to the west. They're they're too far west for our 
interest. They went back to Greece and to uh, Western Asia Minor. So, so those areas, at least for this part of the story of the Bible, are, are outside of our, our area of interest. Um, but there are these other two generals, and we've mentioned them before. Uh, Ptolemy, who was a general of um, Alexander the Great, went back to Egypt, and he set up his empire there. Actually, a really smart place to do it because it was a very defensible area. And we see the Ptolemaic, Ptolemaic Egypt then is able to be established for for centuries. Um even Cleopatra, famous Cleopatra, is a part of that Ptolemaic Empire, by the way, just, just you know, out of intersake for a later period of time. But then the other general is named Seleucus. And so this, uh, what Seleucus basically does is he takes over the area that Alexander the Great had been occupying in Mesopotamia, in Persia. But it also came around, and we call them Syrians a lot of times because, again, from the perspective of the Holy Land, they are they they are controlling this area to the north, uh, the area of Syria to the north, Ptolemy and and Egypt to the south, and so the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Seleucids is what we call this whole period of time. So Seleucus was the name of the general, but Seleucids is what we call his successors, and uh, basically the Seleucids and the Ptolemies battle over the Holy Land for the next several centuries. It's all that clear as, smud. As, as one does. <laughs> well, it's a story. It's a story of these these times, right? Right. What? Uh, any questions on that? I know that was a lot to go through. So no. So <clears throat> neither one of them. They're both just trying to lay claim to the, this exactly. area. Then, and, and we find, and this is really, we're going to see this in chapter ten as well, the book of Daniel. I'll go ahead and prepare you for that, because there are times where the Ptolemies are able to have a greater control over what we would call Judea. Uh, and, and there are times where the Seleucids have greater control over this area. Um, that is, that is, that is modern day Israel, um, or, you know, call it whatever, whatever you will. I'm almost afraid to call it anything these days, but, but this area, that's why I use the term yeah. Holy land. Right. Uh -huh. Um, and so that's, that's why, um, you know that that's where this battle is taking place, and that's for God's people, right? That is that is the important part of this story. All right, so those are our four prominent horns. The yeah. four generals have broken it up for our purposes: Ptolemies and Seleucids. Seleucids are the most important ones for us to, to consider. And I think I mentioned before the Ptolemies weren't very creative when it came to naming their children. So you know the kings during this whole time names literally were Ptolemy. You know Ptolemy <laughs> the first, Ptolemy the second, Ptolemy the third. You know that's that's easy to remember. Um, <laughs> The Seleucids were slightly more creative in that we find two names that, that are prominent, Seleucus and Antiochus. So it kind of skips generations. Uh, and we're going to see Antiochus, we're going to get to this person that's important for us, Antiochus IV, and even his brother's name was Seleucus. But uh, um, <laughs> just report the news. They got other know. things to worry about besides yeah, naming kids. Yeah, we're just going to name our kids, you know, these these things. But... but um, uh, Seleucus or Antiochus, if you ever hear those names, those are those are Seleucid kings typically. Um, so, all right, th I think that's we all. It. Did I, did I read the rest of? Okay, so then we get to nine through eleven. Um, so the they, these four prominent horns 
to the end of verse eight again, grew up toward the four winds of heaven. So imagine them scattered, you know, throughout the, the empire out of one of them came another horn. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end We've of got this horns is horns on horns <laughs> on horns. So, so the Seleucid Seleucus would be one of these four horns, one of these Diadochoi, one of these successors of Alexander the great. And it's out of his horn that this small horn grows up. So out of one of them came another horn. And I don't know if you remember back in chapter seven, we had this small horn already and we talked mm-hmm. about him a yes. little bit. So he started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. And so beautiful land here is just a way to refer to the, to the holy land. Um, it grew until it reached the host of the heavens and threw down some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. We're, I want to come back to that and talk about that because that's that's one that I've always thought thought about a lot, really an interesting story. There's, there's different ways we can talk about that. So this horn, it... Of course, we've already given away. We're talking about a he, but right. but in this in the vision, he's still an id. It's a it's a horn. It set itself up as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. So, this is a reference then to Antiochus the fourth, who called himself Epiphanes, which means um, God made manifest. God showing himself on earth. So Antiochus IV, he's one of the descendants of Seleucus. And and what happened in Antiochus, we have a whole episode on this you can go listen to another time, is because Antiochus was resisted by the by the Jewish people, uh, he, he determined that he was going to absolutely wipe out Judaism. That became his his one of his goals in life was just to completely do away with Judaism. He he changed the policy. You remember me saying that Alexander pretty much said, "Hey, you guys, if you acknowledge my greatness, you can go on as you wish." Right. Uh, that had continued really up to the time of Antiochus the Fourth, and Antiochus is the one who brought a new policy. <laughs> That's that's a really soft word for what he did, but mm-hmm. uh, he brought a new attitude toward the Jewish people, and basically wanted them to acknowledge his sovereignty and his power. Uh, he saw himself as God in the flesh, and so he really had no other place for any other kind of God. So it mentions. Did you see that idea that there's a couple of references here that we have a hard time knowing exactly what to do with? One of them is this idea of the starry host. Even some of the starry host were thrown down and he trampled on them. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is it talks about the commander of the Lord's army. And so the whole question here is, are we talking about supernatural beings? Because there are times where stars stand for, for angels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a way in which this idea of the stars can refer to um, God's people, Um you know, we see this in the in the scriptures as well, where sometimes we are called to shine like stars, for example. Mm. Um, and, and so, what I think is going on here is this is talking about his opposition to the whole, to God's holy people. To and when I say God's holy people, I'm talking about to those who were staying true uh, to to what they believed that God had commanded in His law. Okay. Mm. So when Antiochus resisted God's people and and was trying to force them uh, into abandoning the law, um, 
then this is this is what I think is 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 being referred to. The rest of the story, of course, we've talked about this before, is that Antiochus ended up desecrating the the temple. And this is what was referred to. We talked last week about the abomination that brings desolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this. We're going to see in just a little bit. This referred to in a, in a similar term, a slightly different term. Um, but this abomination that brings desolation is when he sets up a statue to Zeus in the temple, a place where there was not not to be any graven images. He sets it up in the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple's desecrated. The daily sacrifice is stopped. And you, did you hear that when, when he talked about that? Yep. So, so God's people were no longer able to do what they had been doing in the temple uh, since it had been, um, you know, basically re, rebuilt mm-hmm. um, during the time of Zerubbabel after you might remember it was destroyed in 586 uh, B.C. And then it was rebuilt when, uh, you know, when... Um, um, Zerubbabel came came back uh, into the Holy Land, and and so the 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 sacrifice was stopped, which is was a horrible thing, and uh, and, and uh, the the um, um, you know the, he des- desecrated the temple in that way, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. What I wanted to do is I wanted to read a little bit from Second Maccabees, though, because Maccabees, of course, are the heroes of this story. They're the ones, Judas Maccabeus is the one who's able to lead a rebellion, and his his father, Mattathias, is the one who began it. They're able to lead this rebellion and and kind of defeat Antiochus and retake, I shouldn't say they defeat him completely, but they, they're able to retake the temple in Jerusalem. They're able to reestablish the sacrifice. And that's what a lot of the prophecy in Daniel and a lot of the prophecy from this period of time is pointing toward uh, it's pointing toward that time when the Maccabees are going to come and they're going to be able to reestablish um, this sacrifice. Comments or questions on any of that? I know there's a lot there, no, too. No. So he he did the statue of Zeus. And I don't know if I read this somewhere that he also sacrificed uh-huh. maybe a pig. In, yeah, he in, did. He, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which was considered an unclean animal, right, to, right. for the so, Jewish people. I mean, it was, it was kind of a... Uh, he is trying not just kill the Jews, but kind of destroy yes. the, the monotheistic... System. He, he made it. Yes, he made it. Um, uh, you couldn't have the Torah. Um, you know, he tried to destroy the the book of the law. Um, he forced people to eat unclean foods, basically go against their conscience. Uh, he he forced people at, at at threat of death. When I say forced people, you know, he was gonna. He, he basically had his soldiers kill them if they would not offer incense to foreign gods. Uh, and so, yeah, he was he was systematically trying to wipe out Judaism. Uh, yeah, and, so it wasn't necessarily about the people themselves, but it was the belief system yes. that that made them want to resist his power and his yeah. control over that. And and that's why he was wanting to do it. I think is he he wanted to make sure they were being compliant with him and doing what he he called them to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was going to read this from Second Maccabees about the the stars because I, I find this interesting. Um, this is so you got to understand. So second Maccabees is a book of the Apocrypha, right? Um, but it, 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 so it's written, we don't believe it's inspired. It's written at a later period of time than things like Daniel in, in my opinion, at least. And, um, here's the reason I mentioned that is it, it's kind of, it, they're, they're almost, they're not propaganda exactly, but they really paint Antiochus Epiphany in the most negative light possible. Mm-hmm. So this is talking about the end of Antiochus's life, Antiochus Epiphanes, 
when they believed God judged him and uh, gave him a wasting disease, gave him worms, basically, and uh, and he ended up dying from it uh, because of God's judgment. A little bit like what we saw with Nebuchadnezzar and kind of that say, story. Yeah. If you th- yeah, if you think about that. So <laughs> I just love the way that he puts this, though, uh, the author here. Thus, he, only, uh, he who only a little while before had thought in his superhuman arrogance that he could command the waves of the sea and had imagined that he could weigh the high mountains in a balance was brought down to earth and carried in a litter, making the power of God manifest to all. So he, kind of in a play on words right here was here was God manifest on a they're carrying him on their back on a on a stretcher, basically, because he was so sick. And so the ungodly man's body swarmed with worms. <laughs> and while he was still living in anguish and pain, his flesh rotted away. And because of the stench, the whole army felt revulsion at his decay. Because of this intolerable stench, no one was able to carry the man who a little while before had thought that he could touch the stars of the heaven. And that's where I wanted to wanted to go to. So you see what I'm saying in Daniel, it's like this idea that he he thought to throw down these stars of heaven, which I take to to be, you know, priests, the 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 holy ones of God who were supposed mm-hmm. to be standing in, in this place. And, and he's trying to pull them over to his side. That's what I think Daniel is talking about. He throws down even some of the holy ones, even some of the stars of heaven, and, and tramples them underfoot. Uh, then mm. it was, I might as well go ahead and give the death there. Then it was broken in spirit. He began to lose much of his arrogance and to come to his senses under the scourge of God, for he was tortured with pain every moment. And when he could not endure his own stench, <laughs> he uttered these words, it is right to be subject to God. Mortals should not think that they are equal to God. So uh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I just find that that funny. It, uh, I guess funny is not exactly the right word, but but just how you know you, you can hear the hatred almost of the author there. In right. I'm going to portray this guy in the worst possible light. He's got a stench. Um, He's stinky. <laughs> he really stinks. He really stinks. Literally. And and, and so you know, and it's it's. It's this. It's similar to what we've seen in Daniel already, right? This idea that the arrogance of these kings to think that they are the ones who are calling the shots, when in fact it is God is the one who is who is sovereign in all of these things, right? Um, that's that's kind of I think the the message that Second Maccabees is 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 giving us here. Okay, anything on that? I just wanted to. No, well, I, no, I think it's. I, I like to, to read like the Maccabees and the yeah. intertestamental stuff because it gets us. This is one of those things that if we're if we're not looking at this stuff on our own, it's not in the Bible. You know, to kind of right. help us understand what's happening here. Yeah, and and these would have been stories. Here's here's where they help us the most, not just with Daniel, but these are the stories that Jesus' disciples grew up on. Mm-hmm. Worldview. <laughs> Exactly. These are the stories that they would have known. So when they see Jesus coming along and they're thinking of the Romans a lot like Antiochus Epiphanes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going, oh, <laughs> we're, you know, we're watching history play out in, in our, and they were, but not in the way that they thought. Right. You know, they, they're, they're thinking they were going to see the Caesar have worms in his stomach again. And when, when Peter cut off the ear, of of the high priest, the servant of the high priest, when he cut off Malchus's ear, uh, I think he's thinking, "Man, I'm going to be in you know the next 
Maccabean book, right? Or the, the yeah. equivalent to it. Um, you know, and of course, ironically, then later he, he reminds us, the Old Testament tells us to seek peace and pursue it, right? But he's the one who drew the sword on the night Jesus was arrested and was going to defend him to the death, right? Right. So anyway, just... Yeah, we're getting, we're getting this background. I mean, it helps. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's when you start to think about what the... Or what the Jewish people were expecting when they in the New Testament, right. and why Jesus's coming was kind of a it was a hard thing for them to swallow is because right. they were listening back to these stories of growing up of the, yeah. the Maccabees. Yeah. So the the last thing it talks about here is this idea of the commander of the army of the Lord, and again, uh, we sometimes think about like these supernatural beings, like Michael is called the the commander of the Lord's army at some sometimes, but. But I think I think we may be thinking about like the high priest or or those who who were supposed to be standing uh, in 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 the the way here, and uh, and Antiochus is able to even defeat them for a period of time is the idea. So yeah. So go ahead and read verse twelve. This is just describing a little bit more of what he did. Yeah. He did because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Okay, it again because we're talking about the horn, right? But truth thrown to the ground is probably that idea of the Torah, right? The the law itself was thrown to the ground, was no longer was was you know destroyed, was done away with, and then the daily sacrifices. So then verse 13, we have this supernatural guide step in. So verse 13 says, then I heard a holy one speaking. Remember, we always in apocalyptic have these uh, interpretations given by these, these holy ones. I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one said to him, how long, which is, which is the typical question in apocalyptic, right? How long are things going to be the way that they are? How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation. So there's that abomination that causes desolation. Mm-hmm. He's not just talking about that single event of the the statue of Zeus and the sacrifice of the of the pig on the altar, but he's talking about this whole rebellion that Antiochus is is leading against um, against God against his people. Uh, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. How long is this going to take place? And he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. So 2,300, here's one of these numbers, right? 2,300 evenings and mornings. So what do you think is going on there? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Uh, does it have anything to do with like the sacrifices, like in the yeah. mornings and evenings? Okay, so there was a morning and evening sacrifice in the temple. That was one of the things that, that took place. So this is our number that we're friends with, but it's double that because it's talking about the mornings and evenings. So it's it's uh, 2,300. Half of that's 1,150, a little over three years again, 1,150 days. So we're talking about that period of time, probably the literal period of time that the sacrifice was stopped from the time when Antiochus stopped the sacrifice until the time when Judas Maccabeus's forces were able to reestablish the daily sacrifice is 1150 days or 2300 mornings and evenings. In other words, that's the number of sacrifices that were missed mm-hmm. by God's people during that period of time. That's what I think is the 
is the idea here. It's that time and times and times, time, times, and, and a half a time is gotcha. what we that, have that going we had on here. from Daniel yeah. 7. Yeah, I so think it's so. Same, it's yeah. this time of testing and trial. Time of trial, yeah. When God's people are the, you know, uh, in in the uh, in the Book of Revelation, it's when the Gentiles are trampling the mm-hmm. the um, temple grounds. You know, it's that the sanctuary. It's that it's that period of time. So we're talking about. Yeah, the only the, <clears throat> as you're reading this out loud is like the how long will it take? You know, you brought that up. Like yeah. that's always the question. Sure. Again, this reminds me. It. it Revelation reminds me yeah. of this, you know, when the, the as, yeah, the as, fifth, the fifth seal, the the slain saints under the altar, and the fifth seal. How long, how long the Lord, Lord faithful and true, until you avenge our blood? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that same. How long? How long yeah. until this? Yeah. How long until this? And that's yeah. the question that that keeps coming up. Yeah, Habakkuk. I always mention Habakkuk says the same thing before the Babylonian exile. Right. He says. He says, "How long, Lord, will you look on evil?" And, uh, you know, God says, well, I'm getting ready to do something about that. <laughs> You're not going to like my answer, Habakkuk. But, uh, I'll give but you I, one. You're not going to like it, but I'll give you an answer. Yeah, I'll make you like it. But no. So anyway, <laughs> oh, gosh. well, he does. I mean, because yeah. Habakkuk eventually comes around and is like, well, okay, well, you know, even if the fig tree doesn't bud, uh, I'll wait patiently. <laughs> Yeah, I'll wait for those Babylonians to to get theirs, which they do, right? I mean, yeah. Daniel, we've already seen that. The Medes and Persians. <laughs> it, it's interesting, though. It, I mean, it, it's just fascinating how this this is continually. So, what is the message for us then? I mean, not I know we're not quite to the end yet, but what what does that what does that tell us? It's you know, I know there's lots of people right now. I, I hear it every every Sunday now. Um, and, and, and it's it's a good way for us to think in one manner of speaking. But it's like, oh, the end's got to be close now, right? The end is near. Um, and and I would say, yeah. And it, it has been, right? And, mm-hmm. and we need to live with that kind of urgency and that kind of faithfulness. Um, that we are prepared at any time for Christ's return. That we are we are ready. Um, that we understand that that these kind of things are going to happen until the end, until the very end. Um, yeah, I got two different phone calls this week from folks that are just really upset, you know. And 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 I get it. I, I, you look at the news, not only the the big picture things we have with wars going on in the Middle East and and those kind of things, but you know, horrible news this last week of this this person who randomly goes into a bowling alley and just ends twenty mm-hmm. uh, some or how many 18, was it? The it was 18. 18, 18 lives. Uh, you know, just just horrific kind of stories like this, and and uh, you know, it makes you it makes you wonder about the world. And 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 but here's here was my message, and this is what I think apocalyptic, whether it's Daniel or Revelation, teaches us, or Isaiah for that matter. It teaches us that as God's people, uh, no matter how upsetting and 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 uh, oh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you, you you know, supply whatever you word you want. Shaking or uh, how how traumatic these kind of things happen. We are called to trust and, and remain faithful in in the face of it. Uh, to to be faithful to God and to trust in His in His uh, promises. 
So, so that was my message, you know, when people call and like, oh, this is horrific things that are happening in, in um, you know, the bombings that are taking place, the, the attack that took place on Israel, all these are horrific things. And, and, you know, don't you think that has to be, you know, have things ever been this bad, you know? And uh, I, I think if you were living in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, you'd say, it can't get it. worse than this, right? Yeah. And, uh, and And Jesus, of course... In his upper room discourse, said it's going to happen again, and he says to his disciples, "There's going to come a time where the Romans are going to come." He didn't say Romans, but but the the temple's going to be destroyed again. You see this these great stones. There's a time coming where not one stone will be left on the other, and they're like, "Oh, that's got to be the end of the world, right?" And, and I think that that's kind of our. That's what I think is the message here is we, we're kind of always thinking, oh, this is the end of the world. And, and what we're called, we, we focus upon that when we're called to really focus upon what God is doing in his people and, and, and the sustaining way that he is he's working. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes these things can get people's attention. And I think that's that's a very good thing for, for us and to, to remember that. Anyway. Well, I, and I think that the message here is that is, this is coming I'm not removing you from this. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like this to say, I I, I am going to do something through this. I'm going to, yeah. you know, God's going to reveal himself. We, we say that we, there is a time when it will be reconsecrated from the, yeah. uh, from this abomination. Um, <clears throat> but that it's, it, it is, a, there is a time like this yeah. is, there's a time and it's not like, Hey, you're, you get out of this. Oh, you're my faithful one. And you get to right. go somewhere comfy while all this gets worked out. Right, my microphone just fell. Uh, but that uh, you know that you're going to have to just you're going to have to deal with this. Some of this right. as you go through this. Right. Do you need to put no, that I'm together? Good. Or oh no, I got this. we're wrapping this up. We're getting there. Well, yeah, I just have about 25 more minutes. That's right. So um, I am bull. I'm strong like bull. <laughs> or a, or a goat. Goat. I'm a, you I'm know, a strong ramps, like a you know, shaggy goat. Okay, well, let me go ahead then. Verse 15, I, I find this always interesting. Daniel is inserts these. And again, it, it's. I think he's reminding us, this isn't from me, this is from God. While I, Daniel, was watching this vision and trying to understand it. Do you, you get that picture that he's mm-hmm. he's like, ah, I, you know, goats? And, con, con, and, confused face Daniel here. Like, exactly. And, what am I watching? And, and, and I, I just find that really compelling in him that he's going, I don't know. Because that's not... <laughs> Most interpreters of Daniel's prophecy, that's not the stance that they take, right? They're like, let me tell you what this means. And Dan, do you see what I mean? Yeah, Daniel himself is confused, but we've we've got the arrogance to go like, here's what's really happening. Here's what it real is what Daniel should have understood. This is Russia and China. (laughs) So while I, Daniel, was watching the vision, trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And so here again, this this is a divine, mm-hmm. uh, supernatural um, uh, visitor. And I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. So this one that he sees is 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 telling Gabriel to, 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 to tell him. And as he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Normal response to an angel. Son of man, he said to me, Understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. This reminds us of Book of Revelation as well, probably. Mm -hmm. 
He said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. That's what we said earlier. The shaggy <laughs> brilliant. goat. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece. We call him Alexander the Great. Shaggy the goat. Large- he probably wouldn't appreciate that, would he? Yeah. The large horn between his eyes is the first king. The, the Greeks were known for their, if you've seen the statues, their curls. They're kind of goatish. I don't know. I'm just thinking that like if I'm like dominating, I just just don't call me a shaggy goat. Well, the greatest of all time. I don't know. I don't know. So the large horn between his eyes is the first king. Verse 22, the four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation. So that's the Diadokoi but will not have the same power. They were divided, unlike Alexander. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will rise. Arise, Master of intrigue, because he killed his way to the top. He killed his own brother in order to take the throne. Seleucus. He will be, so, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, yeah. yeah. He killed yeah. Seleucus. Killed Seleucus. He, yeah. It was one of the two names. <laughs> He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. And there's where I think it's that idea of the stars. Mm -hmm. uh, He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, Uh, which again, some people see this as as a supernatural figure, but it could it could be just the you know the leaders of the the Jews, the high priest. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now, that's an important one too. I think um, you know the the whole idea of the Maccabean revolution. We can glorify Judas Maccabeus and all this, but but it it, it comes down to the fact that this is God's the one who's in control. You, you know, I said that that they defeated. Antiochus, but really they didn't. What ended up happening is the Romans came and and he found himself occupied in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it, got, it was God's, you know, uh, God's doing. The vision of the evenings and mornings has been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future, is what he says. Seal it up, which is a common kind of thing. I, Daniel, was worn out. This is the response. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond my understanding. Uh, and so his response is basically to say, you know, how horrible that all these things will come to pass. How awful that that these are the things that are going to happen. So, so that's chapter eight. Yeah. Questions well, it, or it, thoughts? It, or? Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I think we see that Daniel, the effect that this has on Daniel when he has these visions yeah. as well. It's not... He's not like, oh, I'm a prophet here, and you know, sure. I got this vision. It's like, hey, this is a big deal, and it, it's affecting yeah. him and what he does as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is good. We're getting through, getting through the old <laughs> Daniel here. So, it, so again, I'm going to say this. Revelation reminds me of Daniel, and that Revelation yeah. kind of has these cycles of kind of coming yes. back to these visions again, and yeah. we see this is kind of a cycle between seven and eight, where we already yeah. have seen a little bit of this story, but we get some more f- flesh on the bones here in eight exactly. of, of this cycle. 
It's a really good way to put it. Yeah, some more detail of, of what's going on in a couple of these kingdoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, imagine if you're reading this chronologically. I, I think you know it, it would be a, <laughs> it wouldn't make sense, right? It's it's the same kind of visions in different different ways. Yeah, I think that's the <clears throat> you know I, I, we've talked about narrative structure before, but like how the books yeah. are written and like when when this story this story takes place earlier. And if we're putting a timeline, then Daniel yeah. six, you know, exactly. like it, it's ta- it's taken place earlier, but it's, it's structured in certain in certain ways that could kind of point you to certain things. But kind of going, yes, we have to we have to read these things in a context, uh, you know, looking at and and I think that thing at the very beginning where you talked about the Citadel of Susa and that is yeah. a Medo Persian thing, not a Babylonian thing, but Daniel's right. in the midst of Babylon at the time. You know, we, we start to see these non linear aspects yeah. of, of the story. Um, but, you know, th- those are those are details that are easy to get lost in, but not we have to look at the message. What is the message here from all of this yeah. that this is this is for a time and, and then that this is this is what God's going to do through this. Yeah. And, and you know, the end end of time, you know, it's it's these are the things concerning the end, and then we see, well, yeah, but things happen beyond that. And I think it's the same way when we get to Revelation. I was like, well, this is the end of the world. It's like, yeah, but you know, this is right. this is referring to things that are happening in the nearer future than than what we're imagining. I think so. They love hyperbole. Hyperbole is a great. I mean, yeah. the, the Old Testament has a yeah. lot of hyperbole in it. You're right. You yeah. know that yes, this it is the end as described, but there's still more to come. Like there's, there's, there's more to the story here. So, right. Yep. Well, Brian, thanks so much. I appreciate it. No problem. It's been fun. Yeah. So happy, happy reformation day to you. Happy, happy reformation day. Eat yourself some Reese's Reese's and think about (laughs) Martin Luther. Yes. Well, if you're enjoying the podcast, we invite you to join us yeah. on uh, Patreon. You can sign up for that by going to thebiblebistro.com and in the upper right-hand corner, you can click support. Uh, if you support us at a couple different levels there, we've got some swag. We've got a sticker, coffee cup, t-shirt, all the things you could ever need. Yeah. Um, we'd appreciate that. Just like that. Martin Luther, we're, we're interested in getting the Bible into the hands of everybody <laughs> so they can... <laughs> The bistro, not the Bible, the bistro. Um, so, yeah, so if, if you're enjoying it, we invite you. We would love for you to support us in that way. Uh, send us, you know, if you've got ideas for topics that you'd like us to talk about, please yeah. reach out to us. There's a button on there. You can send us a message. Um, but Or just share the podcast. We'd love to grow our listenership. And, um, yeah, so if you're enjoying it, share along. Yeah, it's been good to hear from some of you and the, the new likes we've gotten on Facebook. If you like the Words getting out there. We appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Well, we will see you next Tuesday for next Daniel. Next Tuesday. Non-Reformation Day. Non- <laughs> yep. You got it, Tiger. Daniel 9. <laughs> see ya. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.